Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. If you've not met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. If you have a Bible, could you please go to Luke chapter 11, and then I'll explain what's going to happen this morning, where we're going. What we're doing at this point um, in our sermon series is we're exploring something that we felt God speak to us about at the end of last year, um, and this whole uh, provocation about prayer. And we were provoked by this question where the disciples approached Jesus and said to him, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. It's the only thing I think we can find in our Bibles where, Jesus, um, where the disciples asked about something and Jesus specifically instructed them in something. He never instructed them directly with a, this is how you do evangelism or this is how you pray for the sick specifically. But he did say, this is how you pray. And we've been looking at that as a church and we've been trying to hit it at multiple angles. We've been running the prayer course uh, which has come out the 24-7 prayer movement. We've been doing this through our small groups, our life groups, which has been going fantastically. So when our life groups gather midweek, they watch a short video from the course, have a bit of discussion, then of course they pray, because it wouldn't be a course on prayer without praying. And they've been brilliant. We've looked at why pray, about keeping it simple, keeping it real and keeping it up. We've looked at adoration, about worshiping God and the P-R-A-Y, um, helpful tool for using to pray. We've looked at petition. We've looked at asking God for things. We've looked at intercession, praying for others, and the domino illustration. Um, and this week, we'll be going into uh, week five, which is unanswered prayer. So if you're not in a life group, please get plugged into one uh, and everything that God is doing there. Interspersed with the prayer course, we've had our own prayer meetings, uh, Church at Prayer, that we run every three weeks. Uh, we had one just last Tuesday here in the atrium where the kids are, and it was outstanding. It was, I think, one of the best prayer meetings we've had for as long as I can remember. So if you do not come to our prayer meetings when our life groups are meeting and we say, come pray, please do. They are amazing times to pray with others, learn from others, grow, worship Jesus, put our requests to him. Fantastic. As well as the prayer course, we've been running our sermon series, Teach Us to Pray, and we have been focusing in at this front end on the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus gave this structure to his disciples in response to their question, teach us to pray, and, they've, and he said, this is how you pray, and he's been given that, and we looked at the uh, gateway to prayer, which was we're praying to our Father in heaven who loves us and is for us. And then we've been going through the prayer bit by bit. And today we are coming on to the next section of that. We've also been adding to you, also asking you to, um, we've been giving you, sorry, tips to pray. Things that you can just try in your own time to help you grow in your life of prayer um, which is a great thing. The first week we um, suggested you read some books on prayer, and we recommended a couple. One about the Lord's Prayer called When You Pray by Philip Grand Reichen. We also one on pr called Prayer by Timothy Keller, which is more a general book on prayer. Have a read of those. The second thing we said was pray with others. Whenever you gather together with people from church, whatever the contents, whether it's formal or informal, just spend a moment praying together. Do that. And we've also got our church at prayer where we've gathered to pray. We've Third week, we said have a place and a plan. Have a place you go to play, pray. Find somewhere that works for you 
in your home, out and about, whatever it is where you can go and pray. And then when you get there, have a plan. This is what I'm going to pray through, just to give you some sort of structure. Last week, oh sorry, two weeks ago, Jeremy looked at uh, our fourth tip was to get informed about the church around the world. Learn about what God's doing around the world so you can be informed about praying for others outside because we're part of a worldwide family, the church, and we want to pray for them. And today, week five, I'm going to give you your fifth tip for praying, and that is, number five, is write your prayers. Write your prayers. This is something that God spoke to me about kind of uh, years and years ago, probably, I was trying to work it out, maybe 13, 14 years ago, and I was in a small group context, and I was sharing, I want to pray, I want to grow in prayer, but I find it really um, difficult when I go to pray, I get distracted. It's amazing what comes into my mind when I focus, I want to say, I'm going to pray. You know, I finally realized the, the dishwasher needs unloading, or, or that errand needs doing, or, or something comes up. I'm thinking about the day ahead, and this is what I need to get done, this is what I need to get done. And I was in a small group, and I was in a small group with Matt and Phil Yates. And Phil Yates read very insightfully to me. She said, why don't you try writing your prayers down, and then you're focused. You've got something to do. You're, you're writing. And I have been doing that ever since. So thank you, Phil. But So I have my journal, which has got my planning, which I've shown you a couple of weeks ago, which I kind of pray through, but next to it, I just write my prayers. They're not very long, and then really not inspired, so I don't particularly want you ever to read them. That's why I haven't put them up on the screen. But they're my prayers. And so what I've found over the years is praying and writing with a pen in my hand, wrong hand, that's my wife, this is me, I'm right-handed, has been a brilliant way to just focus my mind for a moment. When I have to pick up my pen and write, Dear Lord, and then either I pray prayers of adoration, about how amazing and wonderful he is, and I write that down. Or if I've got prayers of petition, I need this, I need you to work in my life, I need the help with this. Or even if it's prayers of intercession, there's a situation over there, Lord, that I need you to move and I need you to, to work and I need you to do something with. I found writing it down. So I offer that to you. If you've never tried that, do that. It just it goes in my journal, which I have, my kind of yearly journal, which I just write it, and then the new year I start a new one. Try writing your prayers down as a way of focusing your mind and bringing your attention onto your Father in heaven and bringing your requests to him. All right, let's read our passage. Have you found Luke 11? I'm just going to read it. It's going to appear on the screen behind me, but if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. This is what it says. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we also, oh, sorry, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. What we have there, what Jesus gave to his followers there, is what we now call the Lord's Prayer. It was a structure that he gave to his followers at the time and then throughout the centuries that we can use to pray. It begins with a gateway, which is our Father in heaven. That is the starting point of all prayer, that we are coming to a heavenly Father. And then the prayer is made up, in this one in Luke, is made up of five petitions. A petition is a formal request, and the language scholars tell us of when it was written kind of in the original language, it is a formal request bordering on a command. It's like you're making this demand, this command of your Father in heaven, which can feel a little bit off. What, who are we to make demands of God? But the good news is God told us to do it. 
so we can do it. So we're on safe ground there, making demands from God. And, he, and Jesus said to his followers, this is what I want you to do. These are the demands. And so the five petitions are, hallowed be your name, which we've looked at. Your kingdom come, we've looked at. Give us each day our daily bread, which Jeremy looked at a couple of weeks ago. And then today, what we're going to be looking at is the fourth petition, which is, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And just noting the structure of the prayer, we've got five petitions. The first two are about God. We've looked at them, hallowing his name, seeing his kingdom come. He comes first, and he always should come first. The third petition then moves on to us, but it's a physical, earthly petition. It's about our bread. <laughs> we need provision, daily provision, just to live and be. It's then followed by two petitions, which are more, if you want to put it, spiritual in nature. And so they outnumber the physical petitions by two to one. So we need the basics for life. We need to eat. We need warmth. We need shelter, clothing, those kind of things. But then actually at the end of the prayer, there are two petitions. We'll look at one this week, one next week, about the, the spiritual dimension of our lives. And I think the fact that they are outweighing two to one versus the, the physical one highlights their importance. The world, as we know, a very materialistic Western world is focused on the here and the now and what we can see and what we can touch and what we can taste, which to God is very important. But there is a dynamic in our life, the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, that is just as important, if not more important, because of the consequences of ignoring it in our life. So we're going to look at that today. So we've looked at daily provision. We're going to look at daily pardon this week, and then daily protection next week. So, daily pardon today. What we've got is this petition, which um, in reading around, I've noticed a couple of things about this. First one, this is the only petition in the prayer that has a condition on it. don't know if you've noticed that. We will come to that. The second one, a lot of um, writers around this said this is one of the boldest petitions in the prayer because of the far-reaching consequences of what it actually means in our life and the life of others. So you can agree or disagree uh, with that, but let's have a look forward. Now this prayer is a daily prayer. The previous one was give us this day, our daily bread. So there was a daily, and then it immediately goes and. So this whole area of forgiveness and sin that we're looking at in this petition is something that needs to be practiced daily. Just like the praying for provision. Take a quick audit of your prayers. Do you pray as much about this daily as you do about, Lord, I need A, B, and C? Because the implication of this Lord's Prayer that Jesus goes to his disciples is you need to pray about this as much as you pray about that. And so, it's all about sin and forgiveness. Now, let's just delve into what that means. The Bible describes sin in many ways. It describes it as law-breaking. It describes it as deviation from a set line. It describes it as shortcoming, falling short. It describes it as rebellion against authority. It describes it as a pollution that infects us. It describes us as missing the mark. It describes it in all those different ways that we can sin, which is kind of very much a, a churchy Bible word, but that's what's behind it all. It's all the ways that we can fall short, rebel, deviate from God's standard. And when we looked last term at the Ten Commandments, and we went through all of them, which were God's ten simple rules for life, what did we find? We found 
that we broke each and every one of them all the time. We broke the external ones, we broke the internal ones, we broke the ones that we shouldn't do, we didn't do the ones that we should do, and we found ourselves that we were guilty before a holy God. And the assumption of this petition is that, that we are all guilty before a holy God. We have all lived lives that fall short of God's standard. In fact, everyone has lived lives that fall short of God's standard. Everyone who's ever lived does this with the exception of one person who is Jesus. So we all are guilty. We are all guilty of sin, the Bible says. However, this focus of this prayer in kind of what aspect of sin is a particular one and is in the area of unpaid debt. Unpaid debt is what the kind of the prayer, uh, the prayer is focusing on. That's what it's pointing after. And this is something we're quite familiar in our modern Western world, the whole idea of debt, of being in debt to someone, particularly financial, monetary debt. You could be in debt to the bank because of a mortgage or some kind of other loan. You can be in debt to a family member or a friend who's loaned you money in those situations. And this is very much a business marketplace image of owing a debt to somebody else. But in this case, the debt we owe is to God. The debt we owe is to God. Now, if you ever found yourself in debt and you wanted to get out of debt, there's a couple of questions you need to ask just to clarify your position and then work your way out. The first one is, what do we owe? What do we owe? If we are in debt to God, which is the implication of this petition in the prayer, what do we owe to God? It's a big question. And the Bible has a very simple answer. If we boil it all down, I think it's got a simple one-word answer. What do we owe to God? Everything. Absolutely everything. The Bible says God is the creator and sustainer of all things. Everything we have in this life, from the food we eat to the clothes we have, to the home that we live in, to our friends, our family, to the job we have, even the ability to fulfill the job we have comes from God. Even the the brain that fires to understand things, the breath in our body as our lungs and heart pump and go in and out, it all comes from God. So we owe him everything. We owe him love and obedience and unending praise. And the problem is we have failed on every count, which means we are in debt to God. We are in debt. And so we need to know what we owe. Let's, what's the full extent of that? Okay, we owe God something. What is that debt? Well, that debt began in the garden with Adam and Eve who rebelled. There's another word of that sin. They rebelled against God. They deviated from his commands. They fell short of his standard. And they sinned. And it's something we bear the consequences of. And we, as sons and daughters of Adam, bear that sin, bear that um, debt, if you will. And we live it out from the moment we were born. We live out that rebellion against God, that deviation from his commands. If you don't believe me, just go and hang out with very small children. You do not need to teach them to be selfish and mean and self-righteous 
and arrogant and self-absorbed, they can just do it by themselves. You actually need to teach them the opposite, to share, to be kind, to be gracious, to be forgiving. That's what was parents, we've got to try and teach them. We don't need to teach them the other stuff, they just have it off pat the moment they come out. What's one of the favorite words of a small child? Mine. No, it's not. It's not yours. Someone else bought that for you. Someone else paid for that. Mine. It's not true. And so we are, and then we live out our life like that. We get bigger. We get smarter. We get better at hiding it. But we're still just the same. Children don't grow up. Their bodies get bigger. And we are still have that problem. So we live in debt to God from where we've come from, but also on a daily basis. We commit, they say in the Anglican church, you have sins of commission, things we've done, and you have sins of omission, which are things we should have done that we didn't do. We have external sins where we do and say things against people. We also have internal sins where the things we think and attitudes of our heart, which no one else knows about, but they're there. Sometimes we are willfully disobedient. Sometimes we are ignorant, but we still end up breaking God's law, which makes us, still makes us guilty. And God gave us, gave us clear guidelines how to live, and we have rebelled against them wholeheartedly. Jesus summed up the law simply as love God and love others. And if we put ourselves under that, we find we fail. And if you look at this petition, you notice there's an us in there. So it's not just about me, it's about all of us. It's about all humanity who fall short. So to sum up, our debt before God is eternal and infinite because he is an eternal and infinite God. We have rebelled against him and we owe him a debt that we cannot pay. So that comes to the second question, how do we pay this debt? How do we go about starting the repayments on this loan, this thing we have incurred? And the problem is we can't. It is simply beyond us. We, we cannot repay it back. Normally, if you get yourself into financial difficulties, you can maybe go to someone and say, well, help me out. A bank might help you out and kind of structure a repayment plan, a debt advice charity. A, a friend or family member who has a bit more wealth than you can help you out, help you get through this situation, kind of sub you in and, and help you break free of where you are. But the reality is everyone else is in the same boat. So there's no one to help you. There's no one to help us. We are all completely in debt to God. And we need our debt forgiven. We need it written off. We need it taken away. And there is no one who can do it. And so how do we go about paying this debt? Well, the first thing we do is we need to acknowledge it. We need to recognize I'm in debt I'm in debt to God. We need to own it and say, it's me. It's my problem. I have the issue here. And I need forgiveness. And I cannot earn it by putting in a payment plan. I cannot earn it by going out to work and getting a good job. I just cannot earn it. So I need to ask for it. I need someone else who is bigger than myself, wealthy, if we use that image, more than me, to pay off my debt. And the good news is we can have that. It says in Colossians chapter 2, it says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Who's him? Jesus. Having forgiven all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt 
that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. The image there that Paul is driving at is that a debt would have been written out on, on, a, on a piece of parchment, like written, this is what you owe. And the numbers on it would have been infinite numbers. You owe this much. If it was a bit of paper, the paper would have just gone on and on, a great roll. This is what you owe to God. And he says, actually, it has been taken by Christ and nailed to the cross with him. And written across it in red letters, paid in full. Paid in full. Because of the cross, because of Jesus' death on the cross and subsequent resurrection, our debt has been paid. How could Jesus do that? Well, because he didn't owe God anything. He didn't owe God anything. He was sinless, the Bible said. God himself came to earth, lived the perfect life, fully God, fully man. As Christ, he lived this life. People tried to accuse him of stuff. Never stuck because he was innocent. He was still executed willingly in our place. And because of his infinite worth as God the Son, our Savior, he paid the infinite nature of our debt. And so because of him, we are now debt-free. Because of him, we can be completely forgiven. And it's wonderful the fact that Jesus told us to pray a prayer about receiving forgiveness and then made it possible. He said, I want you to pray this prayer that God would forgive you your debt. Which That's why this petition is so bold. You think, God can't forgive our debt. It's, it's infinite. And then Jesus says, well, I'm God. I'm going to pay it for you. I'm going to make it possible for you to pray this prayer. I'm going to make it possible for this prayer to come about and be active and living in your life. That you can be forgiven and leave righteous, holy lives before me. But this then begs a question because Jesus wants us to pray this prayer daily. We've seen that because of the way it runs on from the daily bread prayer. What does that mean? How am I supposed to pray this prayer daily? If you've become a Christian here, anyone here a Christian? Good. That's nice to know. We're in church. At some point in your life, you have made that moment, that decision to actually recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, recognize your own sin before him, recognize your failure, said to him, cried out to him, said, God, I can't do this. I need you. I want you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to transform my life. And we've responded in repentance and faith and put our trust in him. And at that moment, the amazing thing happened. We were born again. We've been justified. said We've been adopted into God's family. The process of sanctification, making us more like Jesus, has begun. And there is a hope and a future before us that we can look to. An eternal hope, an eternal glory. And so if that's happened once, why do I, why do I need to keep praying it daily? Why do I, don't I need, I'm, aren't I saved? Yes, you are. But there's two things. There's your position and there's your condition. Your position in Christ is set. You are holy and righteous as a believer. You are saved for all eternity. You are an adopted child beloved by your Father in heaven. You have an eternity which is secure in him, a heavenly kingdom which you're going to come into. But our condition is that we are weak, frail beings, and daily we fail, and daily we fall, and daily we 
make mistakes and daily we commit sins of commission and omission and every other possible way. We are incredibly creative at failing God. And in those moments, we are to come back to him and seek forgiveness. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, what do we do? We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess, acknowledge, take responsibility for our sins, we, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as followers of Jesus, we are to pray this prayer daily to ask God to forgive us, recognizing as believers that he has, but actually on a daily basis, we make mistakes and we are to continually come to him, make it a daily practice to seek forgiveness for all God has done to us. Now, let's get on to the condition of this. If we left it at that, we'd all be probably pretty happy. God forgive us. Yes. Who likes to be on the receiving end of forgiveness? Everyone. The condition is, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Oh dear. The reality is, we find it so much easier to commit sin than to forgive others for their sins. We find it easier to commit sin than to forgive others for their sin. And if you've ever been in a position to forgive others, which means, are you alive? You suddenly realize it can be incredibly difficult. And the reality is we were in debt to God and they have that daily debt we need to deal with. But there are also others who are in debt to us because of things they've said or done or not said or not done in our life. And the Bible is very clear. We are imperfect people. Therefore, we need forgiveness from God. But we are also surrounded by imperfect people. Therefore, we will also need to forgive others. It's the reality of life. The implication of this part of the prayer is that you are to expect others to wrong you. That's that's what you should do. Because if you're going to have to forgive others, Jesus is saying, do you know what? Someone somewhere at some point is going to wrong you and you're going to have to forgive them. And Jesus makes it very clear that our forgiveness of others is linked to God's forgiveness of us. Because he's put the condition in there. And this isn't just in this place. If it's just one place, you might be able to write it off. But in Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, he says, For if you give others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, sins, neither will your Father forgive you. It says in Luke 6, 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. In Mark 11, it says that whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your sin. So we are to be forgiving people as well. So let's, but let's just be clear on a couple of things. Our forgiveness is not the same as God's. God gives an eternal debt, an infinite debt for all who turn to him. We are just talking about a personal thing between one person and another. And also, um, our forgiveness does not cause God, cause God to forgive us. So it's not like we're earning God's forgiveness. If I forgive this person for offending me, therefore I earn God has to forgive me. I'm not earning it. That's not 
what it means. So what does it mean? Well, let me read you a parable that Jesus told which highlights this. You'll find it in Matthew 18 if you want to go and look it up on your own. Start at verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And just for our kind of translation into the modern West, that was an astronomical amount of money, an unpayable amount, a vast sum. And since the servant could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Part one of that petition. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. And just to underline what it means, he finishes with this. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's the parable of the unmerciful servant and so just to sum up the master forgave the servant this massive unpayable debt the servant then in turn went to a fellow servant who owed him a very small relatively speaking amount but refused to forgive him for that and in consequence of his action the master then punished him severely for his failure to forgive the debt and so what does this mean for us? What does this condition mean? How do we actually earth this out? Is it literally a case of, well, if I don't forgive that person for what they've done, I'm suddenly going to be in danger of losing my salvation or losing everything. That's not what Jesus is driving at. What he's driving at is this. If you have been forgiven a vast, unpayable debt, you will be so overwhelmed with love and mercy at what you have been you have received, you will then freely pass it on to others. That's what he's saying. When you realize that your debt had so many zeros on the end of it, you couldn't count them, and someone in a master stroke just wiped them out. When someone owes you over here a pittance, you will say, I've been given so much, I've earned so much, I have, I have so much, I will freely forgive you of your debt. That's the condition that Jesus is saying. If you are not willing to forgive others, then you haven't truly understood what you have been forgiven yourself. Because if you capture what God has done for you, the vastness of your sin, the, the depths to which you had sank before an infinite, holy, righteous God, and he has given himself to pay for that debt, and then he says to you, I need you to forgive others. Out of that overflow of gratitude, love, and thankfulness, you will willingly forgive all those who have wronged you. 
And the difference in the story between the kind of amounts should sober us. That what we owe was thousands of talents, years and years worth of wages, as opposed to some denarii, which was almost like a daily wage. So something insignificantly small by comparison. Those of us who enjoy the forgiveness of God and live in the good of it should freely forgive others who have offended us, damaged us, hurt us, effectively are in our debt. Now, logically, that can be quite straightforward, but in reality, that can be extremely painful and extremely difficult. And I don't want to uh, minimize that, but we must live in the force of what Jesus is asking of us. Now, what does this mean for us if we were going to work this out? It means simply this. We are to forgive everyone for everything. We are to forgive everyone for everything. Now, what this doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean we excuse what they did. We don't excuse the accident. If it, if it was wrong, sinful, vindictive, evil, we don't excuse that. It, we're also not saying it's okay. Someone does something that hurts, damages you. You don't just say, oh, that's all right, that's okay. It's not okay. What they did, the evil they did, is what sent Christ to the cross. So it's not okay and it's not acceptable and we shouldn't act like that. If laws have been broken, then they need to be reported to the authorities. We do not dismiss it or undermine it. And what happens? We do not ignore the consequences of the action. Sometimes people do so and there are far-reaching consequences in terms of things done in their life, damage done, relationships broken. We cannot ignore them either. They are still very real and has... Um, and have to be worked through. What it does mean for us is we give up the right to seek payment. We give up the right to seek payment for that, if we use the image of money, for that money that they owe us. We basically say to God, we relinquish the right to go after that. It also means that we give up the right to hold a grudge. <laughs> that one's hard. We give out the right to hold a grudge because forgiving means releasing people from that debt. So we don't get to hold a grudge or hold it over people, whether it's because we interact with them or because in our hearts, because we don't see them, because they're another part, they're not in our lives anymore. We don't get to do that. So we are to forgive everyone for everything. And the second thing is we are to do it over and over again. We are to do it over and over again. And just for, if you're me, if you're like me, a bit of a legalist, I'd say, okay, that's twice, fine, got it? Over and over, that's twice. But Jesus said to Peter just before that parable that I read to you in Matthew's Gospels, it says, Peter came up to him. I love Peter because he's always trying to find the angle. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He wants a number. And being a really pious man, he says, as many as seven times. Seven times, biblical number, kind of number of God. Yeah, if I forgive him seven times, I must be holy. Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And for you, before you all go, right, it's 77, so 78, I'm going to come for you. <laughs> the image Jesus is doing there is just trying to make a vast number, multiplying numbers of God. Also, it's an allusion back to the Old Testament to a character called Lamech uh, who wanted vengeance seven times over. 
His father wanted vengeance and he wanted it an extra seven times on top of it. And Jesus is basically reversing the effects of the fall and said, no, no, no. We forgive and we are to do it over and over again. We are to forgive as God forgave us. And that is the attitude that we are to have as believers and followers of Christ. So as we pray this prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. We are to recognize the vast debt that God forgave us and then in turn forgive others who are indebted to us. And not excusing what they've done, not minimizing what they've done, not trying to change what they've done, recognizing for what it is a painful, hurtful, sinful action. Even if they do it in omission, they should have done something they shouldn't have. We are to be forgiving for them and towards them. And this is not easy, but it, we are enabled by the grace of God which lives in us, the Holy Spirit in us, who will enable us to do this. Jesus doesn't give us things to do that are impossible. He is with us. He's died to make this happen. And so we're going to do that. So what I want to do to finish is to lead us in some times of forgiveness. Forgiveness for God and then forgiveness for others. So maybe you want to just close your Bibles. If you're able to, why don't you stand? And just in the few moments while everyone's getting ready, ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart and get you ready for what he wants to do now. The first one is we are to receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. So if you're not a believer here, you're not a Christian, you don't identify that, you're a guest with us, it's lovely to have you with us, I want to offer this to you. Jesus is here because of his death and resurrection by his spirit to bring ultimate forgiveness to you, to welcome you into his family. And what you need to do is you need to turn from living your life your way, repent of your sin is our Bible phrase, but it basically says, I'm no longer in charge. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I recognize I can't live this life. I recognize I've offended a holy God in the ways I've lived, the ways I've acted, being selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, done evil things in my heart as well as my actions. And Jesus is saying, I love you. I'm for you. I want to know you. I want to bring you into relationship with your Father in heaven. Come to me. Come to me come to me. And if you're one of those people, I'd love you just to now, in this moment, pray. Call out for God for that forgiveness, knowing he is so willing and so able and so ready to come and lift you up, to set your feet on a rock, to clothe you in his righteousness that you cannot earn. And so if that's you, you want to make, do some business with God, I'd love to speak to you at the end about what that means, talk with you, hear you pray. What about if you're a believer here? If you're a believer here, there will be things in your life that have happened over the last 24 hours, 48 hours or longer where you know you need to get right with Jesus. You need to get right with God. You need to seek God's forgiveness for him. The good news is that it is here, willing and ready for you. But what you need to do is you need to confess it. It said in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, acknowledge it, own it, put your hand up and say, I did that, it was wrong or I didn't do that and I should have, and that was wrong, and receive God's forgiveness. So if you're a Christian here, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment of silence to get right with God on all the things he's done, the things that you've done that you need to sort out.
good news is, if you've confessed your sin, God is faithful, just. He will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I can stand here and pronounce in the authority of God's word, you have been forgiven. That is great. You are righteous and holy before him. Now we're going to move on to the second harder part, the condition. As response to what's gone, as a response to the revelation of the forgiveness God has done in your life, we are now going to look to forgive others. And this could be a range of things. This could be, most likely, it starts close to home. Your family, your friends, your parents, your siblings, your children, those who are in your kind of immediate orbit, they may have said and done things to hurt and wound you. And these could be very recent in the last 24, 48 hours this week, something that's happened in your home, your friendship group that you know you need to forgive someone for. It could be something that happened many, many years ago in your past that you've never kind of fully approached. These things can be, relatively speaking, small in the grand scheme of things, but they still wound. Sometimes these things can be huge and are just horrific even to think and talk about, but they are still things that we need to forgive others for. And if we don't forgive others, we are, we are getting into bitterness. And bitterness, the best way to describe bitterness is, to, is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, which is just not helpful for anyone. And so Jesus wants you to forgive, to release them from that doubt, which in turn releases you from holding on to it. And so whatever that thing is, I'm going to lead us in some prayers to forgive others. It could be got done our family, kind of our friendship relationship. Think about broader, our church family. There could be people who've offended you, who've hurt you in church, in this church. I know it's hard to believe, but even in this church, that happens. Decisions that have made that haven't gone your way, decisions that weren't made that you think should have been made, and you've ended up being wounded. Things people have said and done, either vindictively or just insensitively, ignorantly. Decisions made by those in authority over you, in leadership. It could be in previous churches going back years. Things that have been said and done where you feel maybe you got left out or you got passed over or you're on the end of poor decision making. What about your workplace with your colleagues and bosses and People around you, decisions that were made that have left you wounded. Decisions made by higher-ups that filtered down to you and hurt you and damaged you. Are there people that you need to forgive in those situations? Or I can't, if there's another category of another thing, just let the Holy Spirit come to you and whatever you're thinking about now, that's it. He's good at reminding us of what we need to deal with. And what I want to do is I want to lead us in a prayer for you to pray to put this to bed, to release people from the debt that they owe you, to commit not to bear a grudge, not to hold it over. And I found this prayer very useful. Do you want to put it up, Joel? The next one, which is this, which is a very simple prayer. It comes from the Freedom of Christ people. It says, he says, Lord, I choose to forgive, dot, dot, dot. You have to name the person, be specific, for whatever they did or didn't do and be specific again and then the final one which made me feel acknowledging the consequences of their action how that made you feel and so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you a minute to pray that prayer for yourself you know who the person is you know what they did and you know how they made you feel and I would suggest incredibly strongly that you do it out loud. Now, 
we're in a room and the person might be standing next to you. So that makes it awkward. But so maybe you want to just edge slightly apart, that's fine. But I think confession, speaking something out, is vital in this process and it will ultimately be good for you. I've got a microphone on, so it's going to be even more difficult for me. But I'd love you, I'm going to give you a minute now. So you make your decision uh, before God's forgive, and then I'm going to lead us in a public declaration of handing that over to God and leaving it with him. Okay, off you go. Okay, do you want to put the final slide up for me, John? I'd love us just to say this together as a kind of a public declaration. It'll get awkward at the end because it's a dot, dot, dot. We've all got to say different people's names. So you might want to just tone it down for that bit. Um, just so others don't hear. But I'd love us to say this as a, just a public declaration, say we have chosen to forgive others. So, ready? Go. Lord, I choose not to hold on to my resentment. I thank you for setting me free from the bondage of my bitterness. I let go of my right to seek revenge and ask you to heal my damaged emotions. I ask, bless, in Jesus' name, amen. Bless, blah, blah, blah. Let's just close your eyes. I'm going to pray. And can the band come up while I'm doing this? Jesus taught us to pray to receive forgiveness from him on a daily basis, to be right with him daily, to manage our relationships with him on a daily basis. And that's the importance of our prayer. And we've done something today, but out of this, we need to keep going. He then also, out of the overflow of that, we are to forgive others and release them from the debt that they owe us. So I'm just going to pray into that. You want to open your hands or... Let God come fill you with his spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you modeled this. You did this first. You made it away by dying in our place so that we can be forgiven. And even as they were, we were killing you, you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord Jesus, I pray that in our hearts we would have a deeper revelation of what you've done in our lives, a fuller revelation of what we've been saved from. And God, I pray you would stir up in us an attitude of compassion and grace to those who are in debt to us. 
that we would be like you and say, God, forgive them as we forgive them. Lord Jesus, that we too can echo that prayer for your glory. Lord Jesus, we pray, make us a forgiven people and make us a forgiving people. For your glory, Lord. Amen.